So this guy comes into my shop. He's all excited. He has the latest and greatest invention, and he wants my help in building it. Have you ever had one of those customers who thinks they've designed the next best thing since sliced bread, and they want you to do the prototype for it? Well, my name's Roger Kugler. This is Working at Woodworking Podcast, episode number 20, Prototype Development. Should you even get into this type of work? You could probably keep yourself busy repairing chairs, refinishing dining room tables, building a credenza. Well, you might want to at least consider it. I'll admit I have never made a great deal of money doing prototypes with one exception. I did do pretty well in this one job. But this could be just a black hole that you're jumping into that's going to cost you more time and maybe money than it's going to be worth. That's what we're going to explore today. So there's several things you need to consider when somebody walks through the door with the latest and greatest invention. The first thing you need to deal with is the person who probably knows absolutely nothing about design, products, manufacturing, distribution, business. And you're going to have to assess that right away. I like to ask the person, what is your goal with this? Sometimes they'll say, well, to get rich and retire and never have to work again. Yeah, yeah, don't we all? Sometimes they'll say, this is a problem my grandfather suffered with for years, and I think this could really help a lot of people. Yeah, okay. I want to become famous. Eh, sometimes it's just plain ego. So you have to really assess the idea. I ask, how much do you think people are going to pay for this? And that very often is the, the stumbling stone. They might design, let's just call it a box that does some wonderful thing. And they say, I think they'll pay twenty four ninety five for this. Well, it's hard for me to even turn on a table saw for twenty four ninety five unless I'm able to make, you know, a hundred of them, you know, in a day or something. Sometimes people just have a very disjointed idea of what something costs to make versus what someone is willing to pay for it. Then I ask, what about the competition? Who else is out in the marketplace doing this? If they say, no one, this is brand new, I get a little worried because that might mean that someone has already tried this and it failed miserably, and that's why you don't see very many of these. Competition is actually a good thing. If there's something else in the market that someone's doing, you want to do something similar to it, maybe better, maybe cheaper, maybe more expensive. Well, I pay some attention to that. Is the product practical? Can you make it? Could anyone make it? Is this just a pipe dream? 
Is it interesting to you? If you have no interest in making a product, don't. I mean, that's the what they call a job, is something that you have to do, not something that you want to do. And then ask, what do you want me to do for you? Sometimes they'll just say, I don't know anything about woodworking. This obviously is made from wood. I just wanted to run it by someone who who knows what they're doing. Oftentimes they'll say, I need a prototype to show X, Y, or Z. Sometimes they want you to build the prototype, and they also want you to build the production models. They want to be able to buy from you and then sell to their customers. Sometimes they want you to build the prototype, build the production models, and ship those to their customers so that you handle the distribution side. And I have come across people who want you to design it, prototype it, go into production, and then sell it. You give them a small commission. And that's something worth considering also. After you've asked all those questions, you should have a pretty good idea if you are in or if you are out. It doesn't need to progress any further. Okay, well, short podcast. Um, oh, oh, wait, wait. What if they ask you to sign an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement? I've come across this, well, several times. A non-disclosure agreement is a legal contract that is governed by the laws in your state. Now, if a person is in a different state than you are, it starts to get a little murky you're bound by their state laws. And basically what the non-disclosure agreement, or sometimes are referred to as a gag order, is that you can't discuss anything that you discuss with this person about this product. And every NDA is different. And so you actually have to read this legal document, this contract that they want you to sign to see... Well, if it's even worth talking to them. Now, I am not a lawyer, and I will be the very first person to suggest that you consult your lawyer if you're presented with an NDA. But it's good to read over the contract first. What is it asking you to give up in exchange for the possibility of maybe doing business with this person? An NDA will vaguely describe what you are going to discuss and it will spell out what it expects you to do. That you are not to discuss this, this, or that with anyone. What, forever? Well, yeah, sometimes an NDA could specify that you never, ever, ever, ever say anything about this to anyone, ever. Sometimes there will be a, a date after two years, after five years, after 10 years, after the product hits the market. Often the contract will spell out penalties if you do 
break the contract and discuss this with anyone else. And the idea is that this person maybe has put a lot of thought, a lot of effort, a lot of money into getting this idea this far, and they want to protect that. They don't want you ripping them off. If they come in and want you to build this world world's greatest fishing lure, but they're afraid that you're going to take the idea and start selling it yourself. And then that gets into patents. And this can be a real deep hole that you can get yourself into. Is the product even patentable? Generally speaking, not an attorney. If it's an existing product, you cannot get a patent for that. And existing product could go back 200 years. So if somebody, you know, in the early 1800s built this widget and it was in production for 25 or 30 years and then it became obsolete or went out of production and then you want to invent, with air quotes, this product and get it patented, well, you may not be able to do that because this thing actually existed before. And now someone is asking you to sign a non-disclosure agreement and give up your rights for something that's not protectable with a patent. And so it, it, it gets a little murky in here. Um, and, and look at the penalties. If you do disclose this, you know, do you have to pay them, you know, a million dollars, a thousand dollars? $500 right on the blackboard. I will never steal your idea again a hundred times. I don't know. You have to read the contract to figure out what that is. The other thing you have to ask yourself is, is this even enforceable? There are a lot of contracts that are written that are illegal. Not every contract is binding. It is illegal to write an illegal contract legally illegally. So just because you sign a contract, that doesn't mean that it's... Crap. Sorry about that. Spam phone caller wanting to sell me Morgan Silver Dollars. Yeah, right. I asked if he did anything in lead and brass. He says, oh sure, we're into all the metals. I asked him what caliber. Well, I'm not real sure. You find that out and give me a call back. Anyway, where were we? Oh, yeah, we were talking about non-disclosure agreements and the legality of them. So read the contract, see what it's asking you to do. Never, ever, ever, ever sign anything that you have not read and understand. And if you can't understand what is written, well... There might be a reason for that where they don't want you to understand it. All the more reason to have someone else look at it, preferably a lawyer. And sometimes you can look at the contract and say, I can't agree with this and compromise. I mean, contracts are not written in stone and I don't agree with this, this or this. Can we change these three things? And I would so on and so forth. And the other thing you have to consider is what would stop you from making this product once it hits the market? Unless it is protected by copy or patent, 
it's pretty much the Wild West out there. You can make this and sell it. You can't infringe upon the name. You can't do misleading or, or devious advertising, things like that. There's laws about that type of thing. But if somebody is making widgets, well, you can make widgets too. That's called competition. So you just have to ask yourself, is this worth it? And I've, I dealt with one person who was making something in the sound and audio industry and he was very good. He came right out and asked if I had the capacity to turn a 24 inch diameter sphere. And I don't. My lathe would only turn up to, to like a 22 inch. So that was kind of a, a no brainer right there. It didn't go any further from that. Obviously this guy had been in business, not his first rodeo and understood the exact questions that he needed to ask. It saved both of us a lot of, of time. So it's your choice. It might be worth it. It might not be. Okay. Number two, the scope of work. So what exactly are they wanting you to do? And again, this is where you're dealing with someone who may know absolutely nothing. And they just have an idea. They've seen some pictures on Pinterest. They've seen these in catalogs online. That's where you have to start. They ask, you ask how big it needs to be and they look at you with a blank stare. <laughs> this could be really bad. Very often you will be asked to actually design the product, which is cool. I love design. But you have to understand that you need to be paid for your design work. I have designed products, spent many, many, many hours in doing it, and I honestly just wasn't smart enough to ask for money for that. And it's not something that you want to put six hours into doing something basically on a feasibility standpoint and the answer comes up no, you tell the customer what you found and you both walk away. Well, there went six hours that I could have been doing something else. So if you are going to get into a lot of design work, you need to be right up front with the customer and tell them that I charge X number of dollars per hour. I think this is going to take probably 10 hours of my time to do what you're asking me to do. And if they can't agree with that, they have just stumbled over the first stumbling block of any new product. And that's research and development. You have to have money for that. Now, if somebody comes in and hands you a set of drawings, kiss them. Well, maybe not, but that is just thrilling when you see a set of drawings, even if it is on the back of a napkin. There's something. They have put some thought into this, and they know what a tape measure is. And so they can dimension this out, hopefully, and you have something to work with. Otherwise, you're going to be doing all that design work. So go over the dimensions, go over their drawing, figure out exactly what they're trying to do. Some of these are, 
you know, near professional blueprint quality. Other ones are are rough and rough is perfectly fine. I mean, we just need to see a rough picture of this with rough dimensions and we can work from there. You need to talk about materials. What is this going to be made of? A lot of people, most people don't know Baltic birch plywood from Babinga. So there's going to be a little education in there. It's good to have some scraps, some samples lying around that you can just pick up and show them. Uh, that can be a real big time saver right there. And ask them, what do they want it to look like when it's done? Is this going to be painted? Is this going to have a clear finish? Is there metal applied to it? Is there some newfangled finish that this is supposed to, to be, you know, is metal flake involved? So just really find out what is in that person's mind eye. Another question to ask is shipping. How are they going to distribute this? Maybe it's something that should be RTA, ready to assemble, you know, knockdown. Very often that's not practical. You know, ready to assemble works very well with low cost items. When you start getting into the higher priced items, well, people don't want to put that together. They're expecting you to put it together. That's why they're paying a higher price, which means that shipping is going to be a higher price. My experience is that shipping is just something that you have to do. And if a customer is spending $800 on a dog box end table, they're going to pay $350 to have it shipped to them across the country. So it's worth considering up front. Get that question out of the way. Maybe it's something small that you can drop it in a small flat rate priority USPS box and ship it for $8.95. So I think the, the big thing I'm saying right here is before you put hours and hours into this, make sure you're getting paid. Be right up front with the customer that I can do this. This is how much it would cost and see where it goes from there. Okay, so if you get to the building of the prototype stage, number three, you're going to need a decent set of plans. Now, I'm old school. I generally draw these by hand, putting to use that freshman and sophomore drafting class from high school. I knew that was going to pay off someday. If you are computer savvy, there's a lot of programs out there. SketchUp is probably the, the most popular. Uh, there's CAD programs, some of them incredibly difficult to learn. If you have those skills, by all means, put those to work. But with a decent set of drawings, often very often, you will solve problems before they even creep up. So as you're building the product, look for problems. Solve them as you go along. And as you're doing this, take notes. What could be tweaked? Is there a better way of doing this? You know, you agreed on pocket hole joinery. Well, maybe a Festool Domino would really be more appropriate in this case. You know, get the prototype done, 
get paid for it, and you can go from there. I'm working with a, a young lady right now that she wants me to build a prototype so that she can give to a friend to do research, consumer research, which is a great idea. You can pay a design agency thousands and thousands of dollars for this, or you can build a few of them, pass them out to your friends, and do your own you know, form of, of guerrilla marketing. Now, when it comes to production, step number four, be honest with yourself and with the, the customer. If this is something that you really think is going to literally be flying off the shelves and they're projecting a thousand units a month, can you do that? Now, a lot of times that projection could be pie in the sky. It might be more like 10 a month. But talk about this. I have come across many jobs that I can do the prototype for you. I can't go into production for you. I've got a small shop. I have many other side gigs going on, and I'm just not going to be able to make a 100 of these a week. But I could help you find someone who, who could. So be upfront with them. Have a clear picture of where you're going to, to take this, where this is going to end up. Now, if it is something that you can produce, something that you're interested in producing, that you think that you can make money producing, now we get down to the bidding process. How much is the production model going to cost? And this will really determine if the person can sell the item or not. With this young lady, I suggested the one-third, one-third, one-third rule, which roughly, very roughly, states that the physical item will cost one-third of the retail price. So if the retail price is going to be $100, they would expect to pay around $33 for that item then that leaves another $33 for marketing and advertising and then another $33 for profit and overhead. It's rough. Some people have the idea that if we build this and sell it for $50, I'll make $40 on each one that we sell. It's wonderful if you can do that. You could become incredibly wealthy, but very often, especially when we're talking about a wood product built in a small shop where the owner is expecting to make a decent living versus building thousands of these in a large factory in an overseas area that has a low standard of living, the economies become very, very different. And I have kind of developed what I call my, my production rule is that when you're building that prototype, it's going to take longer to build that one than it is your tenth or your hundredth. And I use a 30% number that if it takes me 10 hours to build this item in production, I should be able to build that in about six, six and a half, seven hours. So about a 30% reduction from my, 
my prototype. If the prototype is really difficult, that kind of goes out the window. It might be 50%, but you, you need to, to kind of figure out how much did it take to build it and how much will it take to build it. And some things you can batch out. You could make 10 of something. You could make five of something. Each item is going to have a kind of a sweet spot in its production unit number. And a lot of that just has to deal with how many parts are involved and how big are those parts. If it's a very large item, you might only be able to build two, three at a time, depending on your shop space. Or if they're smaller, you might be able to build 10 at a time. And the more you can build of something, eliminating, reducing the number of tool setups that you have to do, the faster you can build those and the more profit that you can generate from that. So you've got to be kind of on your toes whenever you're going through this. And a lot of times you'll do the prototype, you'll do the bid for the unit production, and they just decide they don't want to do this. It's not exactly, the numbers didn't work the way they thought they would. Well, maybe you can make the numbers work. Maybe they're in a position where they can't take and store a 100 units and then ship those out on a daily basis. Maybe you could. Will they give you permission to do that? Now, again, you know, no copyright, no patent. You could just take something and, and run with it legally, but morally that might not sit real well with you or that customer. So talk about it. You know, they might just say, hey, we researched it. It's not going to work for me. If you want to do something with it, go right ahead. Sometimes they might even say, this is more than what I'm willing to bite off right now. Would you be interested in taking this over and maybe sending me a small commission, you know, once a month, once a year? That could work out too. Or sometimes you do something for someone and you never hear back from them and you never see the, the product in the market. You never hear anything. If you thought it was a good idea, you could pick it up and run, run with it yourself. If they have an objection, well, you could deal with it then or just be direct and call them up, find them, email, and ask if you could could pursue this. It's more of a courtesy than it is anything else. I don't want to step on anyone's toes. I don't want to create enemies. That's the way that I handle something like that. Okay, some final thoughts. Number five. And these apply to your own products too, so so pay attention. I think more businesses fail than products fail. What do I mean by this? It's a great product. It solves a need in the marketplace. People like this. But if the business behind it is not working well, then the product's not going to work well. Now, I had a very interesting experience with someone a number of years ago. He came up with this. I thought it was a great idea, and I wanted to be involved. I wanted to make these things. I didn't really want to market these things, and I didn't really want to distribute 
these things. And it turns out that the guy didn't either. In fact, it turned out that he wasn't well-suited for business. And I should have been smarter than I was, but when he insisted on paying me with cash or money order, I should have seen the red flags. He just did not have the business acume that is needed for something like this. He had email skills, and that was about it. And he he paid me for all the work that I did for him. It was a an interesting relationship, but I could see pretty early on that this wasn't going to go long term. But I should have pressed that more. He had good ideas. He had good intentions. But he was just not able to really execute upon that. Now, here's something to keep in mind. The product that you start with is not the product that you're going to end up with. We started with the Model T. No one is driving a Model T today. Products evolved. And I have found that my customers are really my best product designers because I'll build a widget and somebody will ask, well, could you add this to it? Wow. That is a great idea. I never in a hundred years would have thought of that. Yes, I can easily add that. No problem. So that product that you have it can evolve over the years to become much better and sometimes cheaper, sometimes more expensive than the product that you started off with. So listen to your customers. They're actually... A very, very good resource. But now, does that mean that you have to wait until the product is perfect before you bring it to market? Absolutely not. No, do not do that. There's a a principle called MVP, most valuable player. No, that's not right. Most viable product. This comes out of the lean manufacturing philosophy, which (laughs) hasn't worked out so well for the last couple of years, has it? But the idea is that you need to get a product made and into the market. Even if you know it's not exactly perfect, because once it's in the market, you can start listening to the customers who are suggesting changes and that's basically guerrilla marketing right there. That's You're not paying a design firm thousands and thousands of dollars to do something that your customers are, in essence, doing for you for free. So don't let perfection stand in the way between bringing something to market and letting it sit on the drawing board for weeks, months, years, decades. that's called paralysis through analysis. Remember, done is better than perfect. And here's another principle to keep in mind. No one cares about your idea. Absolutely no one, unless you can execute it. People have good ideas every day. 
very, very, very few of them actually make it to market to help someone or to make you any money. So I hope this was helpful. Just some ideas to think about whenever you are approached by someone who has a great idea and they want you to help them with it, run it by you, build a prototype, go into business with you, that you'll have a little bit more information that you can can uh, uh, go by. You don't have to reinvent a wheel, but this might be a good starting point for you. I had an absolutely delightful email from a gentleman who wanted to purchase for his wife for Valentine's Day six hours of my coaching session on woodworking. Since I'm not teaching woodworking in a classroom setting anymore, I have started doing one-on-one instruction in my very small workshop. I can't get six people in my shop. I can get one person or two friends in my shop. And so that's what I've started to do. And I, I just thought that was so romantic that he got his wife, you know, six hours. She can use whatever she wants. She wants to build furniture, uh, tables in particular. So I, I just thought that was so ro- romantic. What a smoothie he was. I'd also like to remind everyone about Unitel Voice, the VOIP system that you can hook up with your cell phone to manage your business communications. You can get a business number from them, even a toll-free number if you would like, and all of your business phone calls will come into the Unitel app on your phone and you can answer them from there or dial out from there and it kind of frees up your personal cell phone for well for being personal and separates that personal business life that so many people kind of struggle with. Recommendation for the week I'm going to recommend Joshua Farnsworth's website called Wood and Shop. Link in the show note. He's built just an absolutely delightful website. If you have nothing to do for 45 minutes or you have just destroyed a project that you were working on, pull up his website and just just cruise. He has a lot of really good information. He he teaches. He sells stuff. Uh, very, very informative web, website. Really enjoyed it. I've had a number of missed jobs uh, that I just could not do. Uh, a lot of them was furniture repair, uh, refinishing. So the work is out there. If you are looking for it, I really appreciate you following. I'm still kind of amazed by the numbers that I get once a week from my, uh, my host that says so many people have downloaded, uh, this episode, that episode, and it's just growing. I really, really appreciate it. As always, you can send any comments, complaints, criticisms, or suggestions for things that you might be struggling with to roger at working at woodworking.com, the website for the podcast, or give me a call. My number is 812-325-9823. I'll put that in the show notes also. I talk much faster than I type. And of course... If you have need for some 
business coaching, I would be happy to help you with that. There's more information on the website, but I would love to hear from you. So until next week, happy woodworking.